0: Welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Associate Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guests are Amanda Lewandowski, Associate Professor of Law and Founding Director of the Intellectual Property and Information Policy Clinic at Georgetown University Law Center, and Laura Ahmed, a 3L at Georgetown University Law Center. We will discuss Uh, Amanda Lewandowski's approach to teaching intellectual property and technology law, including having students uh, edit Wikipedia entries as part of their class, and Laura's experience and thoughts on the same issues. So welcome to the show, to the both of you.
1: Thanks for having us, Brian. Yeah,
0: it should be a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, so I wonder, um, Amanda, if you could start by describing the clinic and the work it does and sort of the nature of the courses that you're teaching there, just so listeners kind of have a sense of of what you're doing and what the goals of, of the clinic are.
1: Sure. So the Intellectual Property and Information Policy Clinic is Georgetown's newest clinic, and we focus on representing individuals, nonprofits and consumer groups who are engaging with intellectual property and information policy issues from a public interest perspective.
0: Mm. Could you give some examples of of people you've worked with and particular projects you've taken on so far?
1: Sure. So this is the first semester of the clinic. So we've only taken on two clients, Um, but we have worked with a really interesting variety. So we've worked with one individual artist um, who does critique and commentary Uh, in her artwork who had some intellectual property related questions. And we've also done work for um, one of the largest nonprofit digital libraries in America, who had some policy related questions, um, also related to intellectual property, but a little bit related to information policy as well. Um, So you got that sort of overlap between the different areas um, and that conversation for the students working on those matters.
0: Well, so I mean, maybe I wonder if, if, uh, if Laura could talk a little bit about the experience of being in the class as well. What has it been like and what kind of things have you done as a student in the clinic?
2: It's uh, so it's been really exciting. I'm a little stuck at the second part what it's been like to kind of work on these projects because at least in my experience, it's been a little bit of everything. So I've taken a lot of classes at Georgetown on intellectual property, as well as on data privacy But um, working on an actual client project has really forced me and my team to stretch and look into other areas of law that we've never even considered. Um, So nothing's ever boring with the IPIP clinic. I will give it that. Everything is a little different, um, which is fun. It makes it more challenging and a more enriching
0: experience. Well, so Laura, I understand you have a somewhat unusual background as a law student. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. And how it's informed your experiences as a law student.
2: Sure. So I actually, I came into law school pretty traditionally. I came straight from undergrad. Uh, But one of the wonderful things about Georgetown is it gives you so many opportunities to develop non-traditional legal skills. So last year I was involved in um, Paul Ohm's introductory, um, introductory computer programming for lawyers course, where we learned Python specifically with the bent to, cultivating legal talents. So we would parse Supreme Court cases or scrape um, opinions off the internet and then run word analytics on them. So through that, it's really helped me explore non-legal skills that are still helpful for practice. And then uh, this year, I'm actually participating in the intermediate course where we're encouraged to work on also legal projects. I'm working on pretty much a Westlaw like alert system for copyright registrations to help clinics um know when their clients may be sued for a copyright violation, Kind of help them keep track on what's going on in their clients' world and hopefully make things a little
0: easier. Mm. Well, so Amanda, one of the things that kind of prompted this conversation was you were talking about how you use Wikipedia and specifically Wikipedia editing as a pedagogical tool with your students. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what you do and why you think that's a useful way of of using this kind of technology for a teaching tool.
1: Partially because my own entry point to editing Wikipedia, which I've been doing since 2011, came in the form of a class I took. Um, We were asked to edit an article and write and reflect on our experiences editing that article, and I got so into it. I edited an article about the Fair Use Act. Um, It was introduced by Zoe Lofgren, which put her on my radar as someone who, um, as a policymaker, cares about intellectual property issues really richly. And when I started digging into it, I had worked on so many different um, editing opportunities. I edited in college, I edited in law school, and I actually created the article about revenge porn, which has more than 1 million views, and I did that as a student at NYU Law in connection with the note I published, and I saw this as a real opportunity for me to have a huge range of people read my work. I mean, 1 million views is more than anything I'm ever going to get on SSRN throughout the entirety of my career, no question. And so it made me wonder whether there was a bigger reason other than just the experience and the community of giving back and contributing to full human knowledge. And I actually found a hook in the ABA's preamble um, for their model rules. And one of the sort of calls to action for lawyers is that the lawyers should further the public's understanding of and confidence in the rule of law and the justice system, because legal institutions in a constitutional democracy depend on popular participation to support and maintain their authority. And to me, that also sounded like a really incredible call for lawyers, whether they're soon to be lawyers or actual practicing lawyers to contribute to the public's understanding of law by making Wikipedia articles about the law better.
0: Well, so for other legal scholars or legal academics who might be interested in um, incorporating a similar element into their classes, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about sort of how you approach this project as a professor, right? In other words, what do you tell your students? um, What do you ask them to do? And sort of what kind of guidance do you provide along the way?
1: So I keep it really lightweight. And I want one of the messages to people who might consider toying this with with this as a pedagogical approach to student learning um, to really be easy on yourselves and keep it as lightweight as possible. Um, That was particularly easy this year because I taught the skillset Wikipedia section um, right after spring break. It was our first virtual class. So I had no choice but to keep it a little more lightweight than usual. And the way I approached it is by asking the students to look at um, some basic Wikipedia governance and set up an account. That was all I asked them to do. Um, and be prepared to edit. Um, I guess that was implicit in the ask. And what we did was I went through um, the students interests for the course of the semester and even what they applied to the clinic expressing interest in and I found articles that I thought matched up with what they would be interested in, whether it was student free speech or the implications of fair use on software APIs or um, the relationship between DNA privacy and major Supreme Court precedents. And I used those as sandboxes for the students to get some early experience editing because they would have the comfort of knowing that they were subject matter experts, whether through passion or experience. Um, and then after a little bit of talking about the values of Wikipedia and getting them started by setting up their own talk pages, which are or their own user pages, which are where Wikipedia users can share a little personal information about themselves if they choose. I just threw them into it. Um, I think that's probably a fair description, but I'll turn it over to Laura to say whether she agrees with that approach.
2: I think threw us into it is perhaps not giving yourself as much credit as you should. Um, Amanda did a really thoughtful job selecting articles that did really resonate with us, and she did walk us through uh, not only the basics of Wikipedia, but she was very clear as well that Our edits didn't need to be these substantive overhauling the entire article masterpieces that it was enough if we just looked at it and we thought, oh, this sentence could be a little clearer in light of what we understand about this topic. Oh, you know what? They don't have the opinion linked here. Maybe we should add the opinion. Um, So I think she gave us a a little more guidance than that. Otherwise, it would have been a very, very daunting experience to try to edit Wikipedia
0: for the first time. Laura maybe you could talk a little bit about your own personal experience like what kind of editing did you do and what was the experience like in practice and sort of how how did you feel that that sort of impacted your own legal education experience?
2: Of course so I was assigned the Google Oracle case which Amanda was spot on. I think it's a really fascinating case. Um, We studied it in my copyright class just the semester before. So it was very fresh on my mind. And at first I'd say it was, it was very daunting. Fortunately, Amanda threw me a bone right away and was like, I think uh, the Supreme court has canceled its hearings on this case because of COVID-19. So that was an easy substantive edit. um, That really got me a lot more comfortable in changing up uh, pieces of the article. And then otherwise it was just, it was similar to editing like a law review piece. I went back up to the top, I read through it, and I thought, okay, as a lay person, what am I taking away that this case is about? And then as someone who has studied this in a scholarly context, is that the full picture? Is there, are there parts of this that are getting skimmed over? Are there parts of this that seem biased, like they're only linking to particular types of sources? And then from there, um, I could hop on other parts of the internet, try to find new sources, or make little tweaks even to sentence structure to make it, at least in my opinion, a little bit clearer and to convey a little more accurately what the case is controversy is fundamentally about.
0: Mm. Well, so Laura, I mean, do you think there are values that lawyers and specifically law students can bring to editing Wikipedia that makes the material better, more useful, and more accurate for the people who are using Wikipedia. I mean, I, I know it's a go-to for me, and I feel like some articles are, you know, some articles are better than others. Um, like, you know, why is it that law students might be especially suited to doing this kind of work?
2: Yeah, so I think you nailed it. Law students are, in I believe, a particularly good position to be editing Wikipedia we're still new to the law, trying to read these cases and parse them through. So we remember what it's like to have absolutely no idea what the court was talking about. Uh, But we're far enough along that we've gotten these tools, especially from 1L and 2L, and how to dive in and really understand what the judges are talking about, how they interpret the law and how they apply it. Uh, So I think law students stand at a good divide where we're not so far entrenched in our legal knowledge and in that little knowledge bubble that we can still translate. We're used to trying to explain to our friends what something on the news is in really simple, easy terms. Uh, But we've also been taught through law school, you still have to be precise. You still have to try to convey as much detail as you can. Uh, So I think law students are in a good position to try to make things clear, but not overly complicated. Um,
0: Well, so Amanda, Laura has a fair amount of coding, experience, which I know a lot of law students don't have, and I would include myself in that camp. Um, Have you found that other law students uh, find it difficult to actually engage in this editing process, or is it a relatively simple thing to implement in the context of a kind of legal pedagogy context where kind of non-experienced students can also do this kind of work?
1: Non-experienced students can absolutely do this kind of work. I think editing Wikipedia is one of those things that seems infinitely intimidating until you do it, and then it's not intimidating even a little bit. Um, And the reason is because Wikipedia uh, has tools built into it to make editing easier for people who don't code. The Wikimedia Foundation has spent an incredible amount of time and energy finding tools that will help diversify its editorship. And one of those is making it as easy as possible and as user-friendly as possible. So even though you can use Wikicode to edit Wikipedia, which is sort of like a lightweight version of um, an easy markup language, you can also use the visual editor and it's like editing in Microsoft Word. It has all of the same sort of visual aesthetic features. You kind of intuitively know where different formatting modules are placed. And, If you're using it in the context of having a a professor on board, it's easy to troubleshoot if a student does get to a point where they're going, I need to format a table, I need to format um, a heading, I need to format a subheading, Um, and someone can jump in and say, here's how you do that. It's not as difficult as it seems at first blush, Um, especially if you're willing to do Wikinome edits, which are little tiny small edits like adding commas or changing punctuation um, or changing tenses of particular words so that the sentence aligns, and those are all super easy, and you can do those without even being logged into an account. You can do all edits without being logged in, but those are pretty frictionless edits, I would say.
0: Mm. Well, I wonder about that friction element. Um, Especially, like, are most of the students, when they're editing, making technical changes or adding new material or even potentially creating new entries? And I wonder if there's been any pushback from other editors, because it sounds like at least some of the subject areas that they're working on are at least potentially controversial, Um, And at least my own limited experience has been that those kinds of controversial areas are ones where there can be a lot of back and forth uh, between different Wikipedia editors.
1: There can be. We didn't run into any of those issues editing. um, And when I previously supervised an independent study at NYU for a student who Um, actually improved every single Supreme Court article related to trademark law. That was the project that she undertook. Um, Also didn't run into issues with editors, although it's certainly possible and it happens way too often. What I would say is that if you're wanting to use this as a pedagogical tool, I would start with easy light edits. So rather than encouraging the students to overhaul articles that were terribly organized, and I definitely selected some articles for them that were terribly organized. We talked collectively as a group about how to prioritize certain types of edits. I made it clear that I was down for them just to wiki gnome the heck out of these articles that I also gave sort of another tiered option of adding sources so that they're bringing in a legal research component. And they're also modeling the skill set of doing legal research into non-legal articles and sources, which I think is a really tough skill set to hone and practice during school and you don't get a lot of practice with that, and the final piece is that the students were also encouraged to make big substantive changes if they wanted to. So by offering a couple of different modalities for the students, they could engage with whatever they felt comfortable with, and what I thought was really heartening is that at the end of class, I took a Zoom poll so that we could practice our Zoom skills, Um, and 100% of the students said that they would edit again, which I thought was a huge win.
0: Mm. Well, so Amanda, I mean, is this the kind of project that's especially suited to IP and tech related law classes, or is it something that people could do in other kinds of classes as well?
1: I definitely think it could be used in any class to enhance students' learning and understanding of the material, right? Every, every study I know of that has measured this particular thing has shown that the easiest way to learn is by teaching, whether you're teaching yourself or teaching someone else. So I could totally see this being used in, say, a criminal law class. There are so many critical Fourth Amendment cases that deal with tricky Supreme Court precedent that are not especially well written. But somebody who's taking a a class, whether it's in criminal procedure or criminal law generally, would be really well positioned to improve those cases. And one of my visions for this kind of work in the future is I would love to see um, professors at different law schools identifying sort of the 10 core cases in the 1L curriculum, teaching the one l to edit at a voluntary symposium, and then measuring how much better those core articles get by the end of the year. Where the students have no deadline, it's just whenever you get a chance, here's a list of 150 articles related to core areas of foundational law that could use improving. And as you have opportunities over the semester, or if you're at home during a pandemic, perhaps you have even more opportunities, perhaps you have even fewer opportunities to edit with the Um, But it's an option. And I think that that could be a really powerful way of not just allowing students to hone some of the skills we've touched on, but to truly give back to the fountain of all human knowledge, which is currently Wikipedia.
0: (laughs) Well, so I mean, as someone who's really intrigued by this as something to incorporate into my own classes, I wonder if there are resources that are available for professors to use to sort of help their students get over that initial hurdle of feeling comfortable doing this editing, either from Wikipedia itself or from from other sources that you think would be especially useful in sort of helping people feel comfortable?
1: And I think that goes for professors as well, right? I think it's about making students comfortable editing, but professors comfortable using this as a pedagogical tool. So I hope I've made the case for it as, Uh, community service matter as actually instilling sort of ethical responsibilities reflecting the APA's preamble. But I also think that professors can go to Wiki Education if they're intimidated. There's an entire hugely vast resource of volunteers who are ready to help specifically with professors who want to get involved with editing Wikipedia, whether it's for themselves or as a pedagogical tool to engage with their students. So if folks are looking to get started, obviously feel free to shoot me an email but they should also really go look at the wiki education resources, whether they want to work with people live or whether they want to look at the resources that are already online.
0: So Laura, I mean, I wonder if you've talked to any of your classmates about their own experiences with this project and if you could relate, uh, you know, like things you've heard from other people about what they encountered, what they did and what they felt like they took away from the experience.
2: Yeah, so I think everyone had a different experience, but I'd say in the whole, they're very positive. And a lot of it uh, dealt, too, with the article they were given. So I believe one of my colleagues edited the LinkedIn versus HiQ case, uh, which was very, very brief, very short. Um, but it's a really interesting, relevant case if you're interested in uh, sort of this tech law space. So for her, uh, it was both very daunting, but also super rewarding. There was so much to be added that could really substantively contribute to the article. At the same time, uh, there was that little bit of trepidation because you're putting something substantive out into the world and then people may rely on this. Um, Whereas other people had more developed articles and they were very content to go through and say, hmm, they're missing some critical sources. They're missing the opinion. Um, I can see the commas are a mess. I'm ready, I'm, I'm into this, um, and they just happily go through and make those little edits because the article was more fully formed. Um, so I think everyone kind of approached it with their own bent, but a lot of it too was shaped by the article. And especially because it was our first time, people wanting to be sure that anything they contributed was right, um, which also of course shed a lot of light for me on what it must be like to edit Wikipedia regularly and the whole dialogue about whether or not you should rely on Wikipedia. Um, But everyone, everyone had their own little take on it because we all wanted to contribute good edits and what that meant really changed based on the context of the article.
0: I wonder about that. I mean, like how did becoming a Wikipedia editor and engaging in this process affect your own assessment of the reliability and value of Wikipedia as a resource and specifically as a resource for legal scholars? So
2: one thing I found really helpful in trying to evaluate the reliability of Wikipedia and my own role in it is the comments that you add when you make edits. I thought that was a really interesting and helpful tool, um, especially for me in trying to document for others, here is where I came from, here is where I was going with these edits. And I think, you know, Wikipedia is it has its own uh, strengths and flaws from being community source. But I think on the whole, it is made by a bunch of very well-intentioned people trying to spread knowledge. Um, So for me, it was nice. It was like a little boost reminding me that I do in fact know enough to contribute to this publicly available resource, even if I'm just contributing a couple sentences. Um, And then the comments really, I don't know, they filled me with a lot of confidence. They looked like they were written by very well-intentioned, very thoughtful people. Uh, that we're really trying to make this article better, even if I had a couple quibbles with the way things were framed. Um, So I think on the whole, it was, it was a positive experience for both my own understanding of my substantive knowledge and for my understanding of the reliability of Wikipedia.
0: Well, so Amanda, I mean, I'm totally sold that this is a great pedagogical tool and something that I want to try myself, but you know, and especially in this kind of this current moment, but I know that like everything's changing really quickly and you're someone I've always looked to as sort of an innovator in the kind of tech and IP space uh, and especially in that space thinking about teaching. I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about your own experiences as a legal educator of going online as a teacher and sort of like any thoughts you have about how to do it as well as possible. Cause I know I'm struggling with it. I know a lot of other people are as well. And I feel like people like you have a lot to add to the conversation for people like me who are maybe a little less sophisticated than you.
1: Oh, I don't know if you're less sophisticated than me, but, and I also feel like we should check in with Laura before I go off on how well we've transitioned to online. So I'll I'll save time to kick it to her and she can give you some feedback as well. Um, but what I try to do is especially starting with the Wikipedia unit. So we actually, in some ways, got super lucky in the IPIP clinic because the unit we did right before spring break, um, which I had teed up so that people could think about it over spring break, I did not realize they would be thinking about it for the indefinite future, was about resilience. Um, And so we had that conversation. We had spring break. And then over spring, our Georgetown spring break was when the shift to virtual learning was announced. And I was a little relieved because I was like, oh, coming back, I'd ask them to do almost no reading because I wanted them to come back refreshed for clinic and we're going to edit Wikipedia, right? I kept it as lightweight as I could. So that was a nice gift that I gave myself last fall when I did the syllabus. I think what was really tricky was how do you make what was supposed to be an in-person conversation feel thoughtful and intimate and real? when you are divided by screens. And I do think that I got very lucky that as someone growing up with a computer who started meeting friends over AOL Instant Messenger as a teen, I was quite comfortable with the the idea that you can build real close friendships and relationships and cultivate those over a screen. And so I tried to bring that approach to the seminar. I tried to think about ways that I could make it feel fun and a little whimsical during what I think is a really dark time for many of our students. And I'm happy to talk about some of the details of how I've gone about doing that. Um, I tried to retool my lesson plans to be really discussion focused with very little lecturing from me so that we can all stay engaged and stay connected um, in the conversation. Um, but the biggest thing is I tried to frame out for the students what I was trying to do for them. So I was really clear in our first class, or at least I think I was really clear, Laura can feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, um, and I hope that she will do so if I'm incorrect. But I tried to be really clear that my goal for the seminar, um, well, for the, for the clinic part where they're doing casework for clients, there's an ethical responsibility and a professional responsibility context there that the students have to continue honoring regardless of pandemics or our grading system or what other ever chaos could reign outside our tiny box apartments. But I try to say I'm trying to build a place of stability and schedule and joy honoring the commitments I made to you in the syllabus, but I'm trying to keep this as regular as possible for you in a very irregular time. So any additional things I can be doing for that, let me know. And I have tried at multiple points throughout this part of the semester to ask for feedback. Um, whether it's feedback on stuff that's happening at the law school, sort of outside of me as an individual teacher, whether it's about my own pedagogy and what I can be doing to support my students better. Um, But I've just tried to be really open with saying this is new for me too, obviously, and if you have thoughts on how this could be better for you as a student and your learning experience, do not hesitate to shoot me an email because I'm here to read those all day.
0: Mm. Well maybe we can give the student the last word for once, and uh, hear from Laura about what her experiences have been like.
2: Yeah, I think I've been incredibly fortunate in that I have two classes to wrap up 3L. One is with uh, Dean Paul Ohm, who is my coding professor, and the other is with Amanda, who is also very tech-savvy. So both of those have actually been really wonderful transitions. And one thing that I think has been key that Amanda's been doing she does have the sense of structure you know we're still doing our readings we're still coming to class we're still doing casework um but there's it's not there isn't like a rigid focus on pretending like this isn't happening so things are much different when you're attending class from your own home um my cats will run past the screen her cat may run past the screen and it's fine to acknowledge that take a brief second um you know, laugh, talk about how cute they are, and then continue to move on. So it's this nice balance of, we're still trying to continue learning, we're trying to do the best we can under the circumstances, but it's also okay to acknowledge sometimes the absurdity of what's happening. You're taking, you know, you're having these deep discussions on really critical issues, um, but, you know, there's a cat and they knocked something over in the other room, and it's okay to acknowledge that too. So I think it's a good balance of not everything is about the pandemic, not everything is about trying to pretend that we're still in the class and everything is business as normal. But, you know, for the two hours or so that we're in class for each session, uh, we're still trying to focus on, we're still diving deeply into the topics we were interested in and the reason we came to the clinic in the first place. And I think that's really critical and has been helpful um, as we try to navigate our online universities.
0: Amazing. Well, Amanda, Laura, thanks so much for making the time to come on the show today. This was really helpful for me, and I hope that other law professors and law students find this episode helpful uh, and interesting as well. And I look forward to many more law professor and law student Wikipedia editors in the future.
1: Thanks so much for having us. This was so much fun. It's great to meet you.
3: In Harlem Town, got a new craze going round. Oopidopla, Dop La Hillia Vop. Call Professor Bop. Where's the time and big bow tie. Flashy clothes that catch your eye. Oopidopla, Dop La Kluger Mop. He's Professor Bop. He's the latest thing derived from swing. La Popa your See Seem everywhere, hear him on the air. He can do it, so can you. Take a song like Old Lang Syne, then you add a bebop line, oopie-dop-lock, kluger-mop, like Professor (laughs) Bop. Mom.